Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. God, I want to pray that this afternoon in the time that we have together, that you would come and meet with us, oh God. Let heaven touch earth in this place. God, let us have an encounter with Jesus today where we are truly touched, chained, transformed, never the same again in your mighty, mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Why don't you be, uh, why don't you be seated? Um, if you have a Bible, will you turn with me to the book of Genesis? Chapter 40. In fact, um, Genesis 39, let's read from there. Um, so what I want to do uh, this afternoon is I want to uh, preach a, a little bit around the Lord's table and communion. And uh, this is not a message I've I preached ever before. So um, you're kind of the warm-up crowd. We'll see how it goes. Um, and then we're going to come, we're going to take communion together. Uh, this morning, for those that were in the morning service, we had a real uh, powerful time of just um, using the Lord's table as a place of spiritual warfare where we can bring our enemy and see God uh, bring the victory. Uh, what's on my heart this afternoon is uh, just uh, I really feel God wants to lead us into a real time of intimacy where the Holy Spirit can just really uh, minister to us deeply this afternoon. So I want to talk for a little bit and then we'll have communion and then we'll just have a little bit of time just for worship and ministry where the Holy Spirit can really come and, and touch us. Is that okay? Um, I was sharing in the first service, we've had, uh, as I've been traveling around and, and sometimes God will, will drop it on my heart to preach on communion and we've seen God do some amazing things. In January, I was in a, a church in Norwich and uh, there were people in that church that had been involved um, in witchcraft and the occult and different things and as they came and took communion demons were leaving them um, it was a, just a real powerful time of deliverance uh, a few months before that in our church in Hull uh, one of our worship leaders who uh, she'd had a problem with her back been in pain for a number of years and and as she took communion God healed her with no one laying hands on her all the pain left her body uh, as she took the bread and the wine um, I was in a, a church in America uh, leading the people around around communion and um, uh, f- um, I, I, I preached the, the message I preached this morning about bringing Haman to the table and there was a guy I guess his Haman was his wife because uh, he brought her to the table she uh, she didn't know the Lord and, um, and and you know there's a tension there when one, when one partner uh, does love God and one doesn't but he, he dragged his wife to church and dragged her to the table and uh, as she took communion God touched her heart she gave her life to Jesus right there and then and I went back to that church sometime later and and, and he said it's like being married to a new woman God has really done a, a work in in our home um, so we, we give God praise and uh, what I, what I want to do this morning uh, this afternoon is I just want to talk about Jesus for a little bit is that okay um, and Genesis chapter 40 um, well as I said well let's just read the end of, of 39 um, it's a story of Joseph and um, we're, I'm sure many of us if not all of us are familiar with the life of Joseph 
Joseph is a young man who has a teenage boy at 17 years of age. Um, he has two dreams from God, two prophetic dreams that God one day is going to raise him up as some, in some kind of leadership role. And his brothers are going to come and bow down before him. His father and mother are going to come and bow down before him. And who knows that that brought a lot of tension between him and his brothers. And his brothers were jealous of him and his brothers hated him. And you know the story, there came a, a moment when his, uh, this, his, he goes out to his brothers in the middle of nowhere and they say, let's kill this dreamer and let's see what will become of his dreams. And, and, and they throw him in a pit and then one of the brothers comes and, and he, uh, tries to uh, save his life. But instead he ends up getting sold into slavery in Egypt and he ends up in the house of Pot, uh, Potiphar, uh, but God is with him. And uh, God looks after him. But then there's, uh, uh, you know, the incident where Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Uh, but Joseph keeps his integrity. But then he's falsely accused and he ends up being thrown into prison. Uh, what does it say in chapter 39 verse 20? It says, but while, was, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the, of the prison warden. So the one put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The one paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And then into chapter 40, it says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Do you ever find yourself in a prison? Joseph is a man of God. Joseph is a man of integrity. Joseph is a man that loves God and, and he lives a life of righteousness and purity. And yet there came a time when he found himself in a prison. He found himself in a place of restriction. He found himself in a place of limitation. Do you know as you read the Bible, many of God's best servants ended up in prison. Many of God's, uh, the most faithful lovers of God found themselves in a place, a prison of isolation and restriction. And who knows that you may be here this afternoon and you love God and you're following God and you're trusting God and yet you can find yourself in a place where the enemy has put you in prison. You may be here today and you may be in a prison of sickness. You may be in a prison of some kind of sin or addiction. You may be in a prison of fear. You may be in a prison of lack. Right now you may look at your job or, or a relationship or your ministry, whatever it is. And, and as you look around, it seems like you are in that place of restriction, that place of limitation, that place of confinement. Am I talking to anyone here today? 
But who knows, it was never God's intention for Joseph to stay in prison. Who knows that God is the great prison breaker. That whatever prison you're in today, God can break you out of that prison. I remember one time being in in Kenya in Africa and ministering in a prison. And uh, we preached the gospel in the prison. Uh, in fact, Dave Jones, who some of you know, he was preaching. And, uh, and many of the men in that prison gave their lives to Jesus. And uh, then afterwards, uh, there was a ministry time where we were praying for them. And I remember coming to one guy. And as I came to him, I felt God give me a word for him. And I said, sir, I believe that God has brought you to this prison because he wanted to meet with you here. But very soon, you will be released from this prison. And when you are on the outside, you will serve Jesus. Well, when I said it, the the guard that was stood next to me laughed. So I thought it was a bit strange, but I just carried on praying for people. And, And at the end of the service, this guard with another guard were over in a corner pointing at me laughing. So my brother Matthew was there. I said, you know, go and find out what... um, what's so funny and so Matthew came back and he said oh they're laughing about what you said to that guy you said that he's going to be released from prison real soon he said that guy is in prison for life and in our country life means life they said in fact he is sentenced to die in this prison there is no way he will ever be released well my first thought I'll be honest with you I thought well maybe I got it wrong My second thought was, well, I'm never going to see him again anyway, so who cares? (laughs) Um, But two weeks later, I got an email from the pastor who'd taken us into that prison. He said, you're never going to believe what's happened. He said, there was a problem in that jail with overcrowding. And he said, the government have never done this before, but they made a list of all the men that were in that prison for minor offences. And they just release them to make room for more serious criminals. He said, we don't understand it, but that man's name got on the list. He woke up with a signed letter from the president saying he was officially pardoned by the Kenyan government. He walked out of that prison, a free man, found the pastor who'd taken us in, explained who he was and what had happened, said, I want to join your church. And the next time he went into that prison, it was to share his testimony about what God had done. He was now part of the prison's ministry team. Come on, someone. That's Jesus. That no matter what prison you're in, and maybe the enemy whispers and says, there's no way out. You're going to stay in this prison for the rest of your days. But I want to tell you today that God is about freedom. God is about deliverance. God is about breaking chains, setting the captives free. He wants to bring you into that place of freedom, into that place uh, where all restrictions and all limitations are broken off. And you can be elevated to a place where he wants you to be. For Joseph, everything was going to change. He was going to go from the prison to the palace. He was going to go from a place of restriction to a place of influence. He was going to go from wearing prison clothes to a place where he was clothed with with, with a gold chain, with, with royal robes. He was put in a place where he had the authority of all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh was higher than him in the whole land of Egypt. Who knows that is turnaround. 
That is what God can do. We looked at this morning about Esther, about how God is the God who can turn tables on the enemy. God is the God who, what the enemy planned for harm, God can turn around for good. A God of deliverance, a God who can elevate you from the pit to the palace. A God can lift you to a place higher than you could ever think, imagine or dream. How did God get Joseph from the pit to the palace? How did God get Joseph from prison to prime minister? How did God get Joseph from a low place to a high place, from bondage to freedom? Same way he will get you from your prison to your palace. God used two men, a baker and a butler. What does a baker make? Not a trick question. What, do, what does a baker make? Bread. What did the cupbearer serve to Pharaoh? Wine. God used the bread and the wine to get Joseph from the prison to the palace. God used the bread and the wine to break Joseph's restrictions and to elevate him to a place of influence and power. God always uses the bread and the wine to set captives free. Two men, two dreams. The baker has a dream. And the interpretation is this. In three days, you are going to be lifted up and hung on a tree. Who knows that is a direct picture of what happened to Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life on the third day. In three days, he was lifted up. He was hung on a tree. And then the, the butler, Joseph said, in three days, you are going to be restored back to your position. And you will once again serve at the right hand of Pharaoh. In three days, one man would be hung on a tree. And the other man would be restored back into the king's presence. It is a picture of what happened at Calvary. In three days, Jesus, the bread of life, was hung on a cross. And in that same period, what was Jesus doing? He was making a way for me and you to be restored back into the king's presence. Come on, give him praise. And you know, you know the story. The, the, it happens exactly as Joseph predicts. The baker is hung. The butler is restored back. The cupbearer is restored back to Pharaoh. But he forgets all about Joseph. But many years later, Pharaoh, the king, has a dream. Now, you've got you to catch this. The king has a dream. And no one can help him. But the cupbearer says, I know a man. You see, the cupbearer, the wine, 
it testified in the king's presence on behalf of Joseph. We have to understand that the blood speaks for us. That in the king's presence, we have a defendant. In the king's presence, we have one who will speak to the king on our behalf. He's the cupbearer, the one who has the wine, the one whose blood was like poured out wine. He speaks on our behalf. The blood speaks for you. I want to prophesy over anyone today, and maybe you're in a place where you have been falsely accused. Maybe you're in a place where you feel like I'm in the middle of an injustice here. I've kept my righteousness. I've kept my integrity. But it's like I'm in a place where, where this is not fair that I'm in this prison. I want to tell you today, you do not need to defend yourself. The blood will speak for you. You do not need to justify yourself. The blood will speak for you. You don't, you don't need to get you know, a, a spade and try and tunnel your way out of that prison. The blood will speak for you. The blood speaks healing. The blood speaks forgiveness. The, the blood speaks righteousness. The blood speaks your future and your destiny. And through the testimony of the cupbearer, the testimony of the blood, Joseph was lifted out of prison and he was brought into a place of freedom, authority, honor and influence. And what the blood did for Joseph, the blood can do for me and you today. Come on, someone say amen. amen. All the way through the life of Joseph, you see God using these two, these two emblems, if you like. The bread and the wine. The body and the blood. It goes on and Joseph, as you know, he comes into the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh himself has a dream. We're not going to read it all, but in chapter 41, verse 46. It says that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and he traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Wow. And then verse 53. It says the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands. But in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine. It's a great phrase. They began to feel the famine. The people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses 
and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Because the famine was severe in all the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who feeds on me will never go hungry. Indeed, the, 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 the bread that I give is my flesh. And whoever feeds on me, I will raise them up at the last day. All the known world in the time of Joseph had run out of bread. But Joseph's table, there was enough. And what did Pharaoh say? If you want bread, go to Joseph. If you are feeling the famine, go to Joseph. Because the storehouses of Egypt are full of grain. There is no lack in heaven's storehouses. His bread is always available. The bread of his presence is always available. You see, who knows that the world out of these doors is in famine. Right? There is no food out there in the world. This world is starving. People are starving for hope. Starving for love. Starving for purpose. Starving for, pur- uh, for, for, for identity. I don't know about you. We, we've, it seems like more and more people are feeling the famine. It's like a felt need. It's like a need that they can feel. And they're going everywhere. But still, there's a king who's saying, go to Joseph. Go to Jesus. Joseph here becomes a picture of Jesus. The storehouses of heaven are full to overflowing. It says there was so much grain that they couldn't even count it. It reminds me of the verse in Malachi where God says, I will throw open the storehouses and there will be so much blessing that you can't even contain it. The bread of his presence is available. The answer to every need, to my need, to your need, to to the needs of all the world, it is there in the presence of Jesus. His bread is enough. His presence is enough. His bread is always available. Healing is always available. Salvation is always available. Deliverance is always available. There is no famine in heaven. There is never any recession in heaven. His table is always laden with blessing after blessing after blessing. We've come to an all-you-can-eat buffet this afternoon. You can come to the table of Jesus and everything that you need is here and available. Can someone say amen? Amen. So the story goes on and 10 of the people that come to buy bread from Joseph are his own brothers. Benjamin stays back at home. And you know the story, the brothers come in. And Joseph's dream is fulfilled. They don't recognize that it's Joseph, but they bow down before this young ruler of the Egyptians. And they buy bread from Joseph and take it back to their father, Jacob. And it says this in in chapter 42, verse 25. 
it says Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. The silver was what they used to buy the grain. Joseph says put it back in their bags. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this? That God has done for us. So they come and they open up their bags of grain. The grain that they would use to make bread. And they found that their silver was in the grain. God is showing us something. The silver is always in the grain. Silver in the Bible is a picture of redemption. It's a picture of salvation. Salvation is always found in the bread. Salvation is only found in the presence of Jesus, the bread of life. Healing is found in the bread. Salvation is found in the bread. Deliverance is found in the bread. Everything we need is in the bread of his presence. And Joseph gave them their silver that they had bought the grain with. He gave it back to them. Listen to this. He would not allow them to pay for the bread. Because the bread is always free. Healing is always free. Salvation is always free. It is not by, uh, how does Paul put it? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. They tried to buy the grain, but Joseph said, no, you cannot pay for this. I give it to you for free. Who knows this afternoon, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn or buy God's favor. God's favor is free. His healing is free. His salvation is free. His presence is free. You cannot work your way into favor. You cannot earn your way into his presence. It is all by grace. It is all through his blood. It is all through what Jesus did on the cross. Sometime later, the brothers go back to Egypt. And this time they take Benjamin with them. Let's look at chapter 43. Verse 15. It says, So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver. And Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt. They presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he, took, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house. Slaughter an animal and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told them and took the men to Joseph's house. Let's go down to verse 24. It says, the steward took the men into Joseph's house. He gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys, 
They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. And then verse 33. It says, the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages. From the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. And so they feasted and drank freely with him. Just want you to think for a moment about everything that these brothers had done to Joseph. They'd been jealous about him. They'd hated him. They'd beaten him up. They'd thrown him into a prison. They'd sold him into slavery. They told their father that he was dead. You know, that's not very nice stuff. (laughs) Now, as a 17-year-old, Joseph is powerless. But now the tables have turned in Joseph's favor. Now Joseph can look at his brothers and he has the power to throw them into prison. He has the power to have them beaten up. He has the power to have them killed. And who knows, he would have been perfectly within his rights to do all of that. But what did he do? He washed their feet and invited them to a meal. And they ate from Joseph's table. Who knows, that is a picture of grace. Our sins are put us at enmity with God. Who knows that every one of us, our sins should, should uh, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's punishment. We deserve to be sent to hell. God is righteous. God is just. None of us have any excuses. We have sinned against him, every one of us. But instead of, of discarding us, Instead of treating us as our sins deserve, what does Jesus do? He washes our feet and he invites us to his table and says, you can dine with me. Who knows, this table is a picture of unmerited favor, of incredible, undeserved grace. What Joseph did to his brothers is exactly what Jesus did at Passover when he washed his disciples' feet and then he dined with them. Who knows, he even washed Judas' feet. At the table of the Lord, there's a place where Jesus comes and washes us and cleanses us and then he dines with us. It says that they ate food from Joseph's own table. They didn't get the scraps. They didn't get the leftovers. They got the very best that Joseph could give. Someone say grace. Someone say amazing grace. Come on, someone. The Bible says that as they sat at the table, they were astonished. Because they realized that they were all sat in age order. It was almost like this young Egyptian ruler 
knew everything about them. Who knows that our king knows everything? He knows he, he could see us all in age order, no problem. He knows everything. He knows every hair that's on your head. He knows every secret. He knows every sin. He knows the things that we try to hide. And yet still, he dines with us. Still, he sits with us. Wasn't Jesus always in trouble because he was having meals with sinners? Thank God that he's not changed. He still dines with prostitutes, with sinners, with tax collectors. Maybe not tax collectors, but... but Everyone is welcome at his table. That's why at God's table, you don't need to put on a front. You don't need to put on your Christian mask that we, you say for Sunday. How's everything doing? Oh, I'm doing great, brother. Oh, pastor, you won't believe what God's working in my life. And inside you're like, I'm backslidden. I've not prayed for a month. How is, you know, coming against me? And at the table... He knows everything. So you don't need to lie. It's at the table that we can know him as we are fully known. We can come exactly as we are. With all our brokenness, all our sin, all our mess. And sit at his table. And just be with him. Amen. Story goes on. This is a, the... the the, the last chapter we'll look at. Chapter 44. It says, Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. And listen to this. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning, uh, as morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. Or when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. The brothers come to Joseph. They get their grain and leave. Isn't that how often we are with God? We come, get our problems sorted and then leave. But Joseph wants his brothers... Back in his presence. Who knows that's all that Jesus is ultimately bothered about. Me and you being brought back into his presence. So what does he do? He takes the cup. That he drinks wine from. And he puts it. In Benjamin's sack. And when the cup is discovered. The brothers are absolutely terrified. They see that cup 
and they think this is a death sentence for Joseph. But actually, the cup was not going to lead to death for Benjamin. Actually, it was going to be the thing that Joseph used to get Benjamin and all the rest of the brothers back into his presence. The, the cup, the metaphor of the cup, is all the way through the Old Testament. And you know what it always speaks of every single time? God's judgment and God's wrath. In all the prophetic books, many of them talk, I will pour a cup of my wrath on the nations because of their sin. But in the New Testament, when Paul talks about the cup, do you know how he describes it? The cup of blessing. The cup that once spoke of wrath and judgment now speaks of the blessing of the Father. Why? Because 2,000 years ago in Gethsemane, Jesus said, if there is any way I don't have to drink this cup of wrath, take it away from me. But when heaven was silent, Jesus, Jesus drunk the cup that cup contained all the wrath and all the anger and all the judgment of God for every sin, every perversion, every evil. Jesus drunk it all. And now the cup is no longer a cup of judgment because Jesus drunk that cup. Now the cup is a cup of blessing. Now the cup is a cup of mercy. Now the cup is that which Jesus uses to get you into his presence. The brothers come back because of the cup. They end up back in the king's presence. And in chapter 45, it says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out of everyone, leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then this is a key verse. Now, this is really where we're, I just want to land this this afternoon. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me when they had done so he said I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into slavery because of the cup because of the blood they come back into his presence and it's then he shows them who he really is it's like the veil is lifted and they realize who he is. This afternoon, my prayer is that the veil will be lifted. And that we would see Jesus. That is what the table is all about. It's a moment to see Jesus. 
to see him as your savior, your healer, your redeemer, your provider, your righteousness, your holiness, your peace, your, your defender. This is an opportunity to see Jesus as he really is. Come close to me. That is the heart of Jesus this afternoon. I feel the Holy Spirit right now kind of drawing every one of us. And I feel the Holy Spirit speaking those words to each one of us today. Come near to me. God wants us near him. He wants us in his presence. I feel God saying that to me right now. Andrew, come near to me. Come close to me. You don't have to be at a distance. But I am bringing you to a place of fellowship. A place of intimacy. And then this is the verse I want to finish on. In verse 14 and 15. It says, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers And he wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. As they came close to Joseph, he wrapped his arms around them. And each one, in turn, he kissed. It's again a direct parallel to the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal is restored, the father embraces him and kisses him. And now this is what Joseph does to all his brothers. In turn, he embraces them and he kisses them. I believe this afternoon is a moment when heaven can kiss our lives. This is a moment when God can come And embrace us by his Holy Spirit. It's a moment of real intimacy. Where Jesus can come if you let him. And kiss you. With his Holy Spirit. Kiss you with his love. Kiss you with his presence. Do you know in in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for kiss. And the Hebrew word. To drink. Pretty much the same word. When you drink of his presence, heaven is kissing you. It's a moment of sweet intimacy with Jesus. And this is a moment right now when, if you open your heart, God will come and kiss you with his love. Psalm. 103 in the Passion Translation, it says this. You kissed my heart with forgiveness. In spite of all I've done, you've healed me inside and out from every disease. There is healing in his kiss. There is forgiveness in his kiss. Do you know nobody here He's too ugly to be kissed by him. 
the prodigal son smell of the pigsty. And yet the father reached out and kissed him. The brothers stunk in another way. They stunk of betrayal and lies and treachery. And yet Joseph pulled them in and kissed them. There is nobody here who's got stuff going on that's too ugly, too broken, too messed up, that Jesus will not pull you in and kiss you today. Even the ugly areas, even the areas that smell like the pigsty, he will still kiss those areas. And his kiss brings healing and restoration. Amen? I feel the presence of God here right now. I feel God saying, come near. Because I want to kiss you. That old hymn, isn't there, of the Welsh revival. How does that go? Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. that song go oh how he loves us heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss not quite sure about that one (laughs) but I like the sentiment heaven coming and kissing our lives anyone ready for God to just really draw close today come on why don't you stand with me Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.